0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brother's. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good.
0: Our father, we uh, do indeed want to find that our praises are rising from our lips, but we pray that our praise of yourself would rise from our life as well as we go through our daily lives uh, tomorrow and in all the days that lie ahead and so as we've been singing that you are the holy lord and as we hear in your word that we are to be holy as you are we ask you to help us to see how we can do that and indeed then to equip us to do it uh, that our lives as well as our lips may declare your praises and we ask it through christ our lord Amen. Well, please do sit down. Uh, My thanks to to Peter already uh, for um, leading us, and uh, I add uh, my welcome to his, uh, especially if you are here for the first time, uh, student, international student, uh, not a student at all, but coming through this place, you're very, very welcome indeed. Two things that you might like to do now as we come to look at the Bible. One is to turn back in it to the reading that we had just a minute ago Uh, from Claire. Page 1217 is the page number. Uh, That will be really helpful for you to see where we're going. Another thing that will be helpful for you to see where we're going uh, will be to um, dig out another thing that was tucked inside uh, your bundle on the way in, and that is uh, a sermon outline. Uh, Even if you don't like taking notes, it will help you to see where we're going and where we're up to uh, with the headings there. Again, as Peter has mentioned, we've just started looking through the letter of one peter this is the third of our series we're going to look through the whole of this little letter uh, through this term and so this week chapter 1 verse 13 to chapter 2 verse 3 Uh, some years back i I met a bloke in his uh, late 20s uh, and uh, met him at a christian conference he'd he'd just become a christian Uh, he was a journalist and as a new christian He'd quickly come to realise that following Jesus Christ put him in conflict every day he lived his life. He put to me a scenario, a scenario that I was familiar with because I used to work in the newspaper industry. It went like this. His editor, this was a true story, his editor had given him an interview, uh, told him to go and get an interview with a grieving mother. Uh, her son had been murdered and the editor wanted the story from the inside. Uh, The journalist had called the mother on the telephone and uh, she had declined an interview with with him or with anybody from the newspaper. And uh, when he took that back to the editor, the editor said to the journalist, get the story, I don't care how you do it, just get the story. Now that was a fairly normal day in the life of a local hack. Uh, He'd uh, been asked to do that kind of things many times before. That kind of goes on in the newspaper industry. But he'd just become a Christian. And now he's a Christian, he felt very uneasy about it. He put it to me like this. This poor woman wanted her privacy. She deserved the right to be left alone to grieve. She didn't need me hounding her for a story. He continued like this. As a Christian, I felt compassion for her, a compassion that I'd not really felt before but the editor had told me to get the story, so I had a choice. I could put compassion to one side, but if I did that, I knew I'd feel terrible, then I'd let Jesus down. Or I could disobey the editor, and I'd feel terrible when I lost my job. That was the struggle that this young journalist faced in his normal, everyday life. Just because he'd become a Christian, there was a conflict, a clash if i may put it that way and it'll be different for you but every christian has what i want to call clash points in their lives points where there is a clash between what you should do as a christian and what the world expects you to do what you should do as a christian and if you do it it will result in some measure life being harder for you because you live as a christian and so you'll be tempted to compromise it will happen at school it'll happen at university it'll happen at work or wherever you spend most of your time it will happen to a greater or lesser extent that if you stand up for christ you'll suffer for it now in these last couple of weeks we've seen that peter is writing to christians who are in exactly that position who suffer because they are christian we saw from chapter five, verse 12, there's no need to look at it now, but from chapter five, verse 12, that Peter has written his letter to encourage Christians to stand fast as Christians and not to compromise. Now, as we turn to the second half of chapter one today, Peter tells us the first step to standing for Christ as we head into the world each day and encounter these, these clash points. The big point that he makes And then there are several sort of smaller points. But the big point he makes is there on the handout. Set your hope fully on your eternal inheritance. Verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, Christian, every day as you leave for school you go to your lectures, head off for work, or even as you meet up with friends socially, every day you head into a battle. Prepare your minds for action. And if we're going to stand firm when, when the heat is on, then we do you see it there. We've got to get our minds right. We've got to get our thinking straight. Prepare your mind for action. And we do that by the second half of verse 13, setting our hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, Peter is referring back to all that we saw last week in verses 3 to 12. If you weren't here, don't worry, I'll give you a quick summary. In verses 3 and 4, he wrote of the certainty of a living hope of an eternal inheritance. And then at the end of verse 5 and the end of verse 7, he pointed to when that day would come. It would be when Jesus Christ is revealed. And now here in verse 13, he deliberately uses that same language, those very same expressions. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Very simply, Peter is saying you will stand for Christ in this world if you have prepared your mind by fixing your hope on the eternal inheritance to come an inheritance that we saw last week is absolutely certain and secure if i'm going to stand firm as a christian i have to be sure of that heavenly inheritance because standing up for christ will cost me for the young journalist i spoke to he knew that if he refused to get the story his job would be on the line for others standing up for christ means seeing a promotion go out of the window In the news recently, we've seen people standing firm for Christ and being taken to court for it. At school and at university, declaring what you believe as Christian or even saying you are a Christian could well cost you friendships. Just being sidelined. We don't want anything to do with you, not if you believe that. Uh, Earlier this week, I had an extremely pleasant evening with a a few people from the church family. And as we sat and ate together, uh, the conversation turned to to how we all became Christians and we all kind of shared our story. And uh, one of uh, the four of us, Tom, explained that he'd been brought up in a strong Christian family and then went off to university as a Christian. And he said, What pushed me off track was when I went to church the first weekend I was at uni. And once my flatmates who weren't Christians knew I'd been to church, they gave me such a hard time. He said they were relentless and ribbed me mercilessly and I caved in and I didn't go back to church. You see, just being a Christian at uni will make your life hard. So you have to be sure it's worth it. You have to be sure of the eternal inheritance to come. But more than that, Peter says in verse 13... Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. And it's that little word fully that makes all the difference. And indeed that has been the real challenge for me this week. I think most real Christians know that their eternal inheritance is secure. But you see what he's saying here. I'll only stand firm in those clash points if my hope is fully set on the future. I don't know about you, I presume that we're all basically the same, but I can tell you that that I so easily find that uh, I drift in my mind. It might be happening to you right now with the sermon, but I'm saying, you know, just usually, everyday life, my my mind drifts so easily, my hopes and my dreams get pinned on other things, uh, things other than Jesus Christ. So easily I start really getting excited about real estate or holidays or the little luxuries and trappings of life. It's, it's so easy to have our hopes and dreams set on those things. Do you find that? That's actually why our jobs are so often the point where we compromise as Christians. You see, we set our hope on other things, a bigger house, a a, a comfortable lifestyle. We dream of driving a nice car and enjoying exotic holidays. We want all the little trinkets of life. We want a new phone, the iPhone 6 Plus, all 619 pounds of it. We want the all-singing, all-dancing phone, not just one that works. We want to be dressed in the finest and most fashionable designer clothes. We look for status in our careers. We look for security in our pension schemes. These are the things we set our hopes on things we dream about and because our job gives us the money to realize our dreams our job is the thing we dare not lose so when there is a clash point at work when at work i have a choice to make between following christ or compromise i would choose to compromise if my hope is set on other things if i'm enamored by other things if other things have got a grip on my heart so peter says the battle is won in the mind it's won by setting our hope fully on the grace to be given when jesus christ is revealed verse 13 prepare your minds for action it's what we're doing here uh, today it's why meeting together on sundays and in small groups during the week is so important because as i study the bible with other christians i can get my mind reset on these things on eternal things that's how i prepare my mind for action And when I've done that, then I can live as I should. See, having set my hope fully on the grace to come, I can then, uh, first little sub-point in the handout, if you're still following, having set my hope fully on the grace to come, I can then be a holy and obedient child of God, verses 14 to 16. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Um, evil desires here are not especially wicked things, you know, like murder and theft and adultery. No, the evil desires that we had when we lived in ignorance, that is ignorance of God, are exactly what we've just been thinking about, putting other things before God, making another thing, any other thing, the, the ultimate thing. And Peter says that's no way for a Christian to live. Four verse 14, Christians are obedient children. We saw the same language back in verse 2. We have been chosen by the Father for obedience to Jesus Christ. And being an obedient child of our Father means being like the God we follow, like Father, like Son. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy. Now, look, I guess that, um, that word holy has negative connotations with many of us. Being holy sounds boring or worse. It sounds like being a sanctimonious, holier-than-thou, self-righteous moralist who thinks they're superior to everyone else. Of course, that is not what it means to be holy. Being holy means, more literally, being set apart. But I think a better phrase is distinctive. So the call here is to, be, to, to live a distinctive life in the world, Now look, do you see how this passage is working? I have a fighting chance of doing that, of living a distinctive life when I have set my hope fully on the grace to be revealed. When my heart and my sights are firmly set on the eternal inheritance to come, then I can be distinctive from the world and everything it offers, even if living a holy life means that I'll suffer for it. My hope set on that. Indeed, having my hope set on eternity, I might then be able to live up to the real challenge at the end of verse 15. Do you see it there? Be holy in all you do. It's easy to be living a distinctive Christian life in some areas of your life, even perhaps for us here, for most areas of our life, but in every area of our life, in all you do. See, again, I, I find there are some things that I some things that have a real hold of my heart and in those areas I I want to live as the world lives Uh, this is for all of us to work out and it will be great when you come to study this in your small groups to be working out how we should live a holy life in everything so it is for all of us but let me say a word to students here tonight Uh, new students it, it is great to have you and we really hope that you'll find a home here. A returning students, it's great to have you back. The, the church family is not quite the same without you, so great to have you back after the, after the summer. Let me say, as you head into this new year, let me ask you to hear the challenge of verse 15, to be holy in all you do, to be distinctive in every area of your life, in your attitude to your work, in the use of your money, in how you use your time, in what you will and won't do when you're out with your friends. This means being distinctive in your drinking habits, to be distinctive when it comes to sex, to be distinctive in your speech. You're not tittle-tattling about others. And please grasp that you won't achieve this by simply trying harder. That's not the message at all. That won't work. Try harder, and when real temptation comes, you will cave in. No, what Peter is talking about here is not restraint, not just trying harder, but replacement. See, Peter says, replace one desire with another. Verse 14 do not conform to the evil desires you had before you became a Christian, rather, replace those desires by verse 13, setting your hope, your desires fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you see how that works? Make that future eternal inheritance your desire above everything else and then you'll be able to live a holy, distinctive life in every area of life. So once we've said our hope fully, then we should be able to be a holy, obedient child of God. Secondly, we'll be able to live as strangers here in reverent fear. That's verses 17 to 21. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Uh, Peter's already used this language of being a stranger. He uses it again. He's saying, this is not my home. I'm looking forward to an eternal inheritance to come. A much greater hope fills my heart. I'm a stranger here in this world. I feel like a foreigner. Uh, Some years ago, for for a, a, a summer I lived and worked in New York City. It was a terrific experience, right in the heart of the Big Apple. It wasn't my home. It was just for a summer. And so I never put roots down there. It didn't cross my mind to buy property there as if I could afford it. I didn't feel as if I had to dress to fit in. I didn't even feel the need to be accepted by the New Yorkers. To use Sting's words, for the older generation, I was a legal alien, an Englishman in New York. And I knew I was, and that was all right, and I wasn't going to stay there. Now that's true of Christians in this world. Verse 17, we are to live as strangers. And we can do that once we've pinned our hopes, not on this life, but on our eternal inheritance. And Peter goes on to say that desire to live as aliens in this world grows greater as we consider what it costs God to make us his children and to win us eternity. Look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Our heavenly father redeemed us out of an empty way of life. That's what it says in verse 18. Peter pulls no punches here. The life handed down to us from our forefathers is empty if it is not Christian. That verse and that phrase, the life handed down to me, makes me think of my grandparents. They're dead now. They died many years ago. I love them dearly and have extremely fond memories of them. They had a hard start in life, born and raised in Blanavon, a mining village in South Wales. My granddad was working down the mine, down the pit by the time he was 14. And he made something of himself. He and and my nana moved uh, to to England, uh, to Hertfordshire. They grafted all their working life and were eventually able to buy their own house. They were hard-working, good citizens. But everything they worked for eventually perished, verse 18. So do you see, strip it all away, end of verse 18, it was an empty way of life. You see, without Jesus Christ and in the light of eternity, what do we have? By complete contrast, when as a Christian I've done verse 13 and set my hope fully on the eternal inheritance to come, an inheritance that, verse 4, will never perish, spoil or fade. When my hope and my mind is set on that glorious inheritance and I'm living for that, I'm living for something that will last So Christian, praise God, verse 18, you have been redeemed from an empty way of life. As a 20-year-old working in the newspaper industry, I know what I was living for. I was living for the same things that had been handed down to me from my grandparents. Property, a smart car, luxurious holidays, wanting to climb the corporate ladder. Had Jesus Christ not stepped into my life then, for the last 31 years, I'd have toiled and struggled for those things. I know I would. I was already doing it. I may well have got them and more. I was already getting some of them age 20. But to live that way is to invest in things that will eventually perish. So I praise God that I was redeemed from that way of living. But look, here's the thing. That redemption came at a great cost. Verse 18, it was not with silver or gold that we were redeemed, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, See, look at the cross and we see the huge cross, the remarkable sacrifice that it took for us to be redeemed, to be brought back. The cost, the most precious thing in the universe, the blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter puts it here because that should motivate me to want to live as a stranger here in this world. Not living for the things of this world, which are, are empty and gives me, uh, gives me only things that eventually perish, but, but looking forward to the next world that I've been redeemed for. We'll take communion in a moment, as we do. Then focus on the sacrificial death of Jesus and think about what you've been redeemed from. Empty, wasted, useless life. Think about the eternal inheritance that you have been saved for in Christ. Think about what it cost Jesus to give you that And that should change your desire and mine and should make us determined to put our faith and hope in God, as Peter says it in in verse 21. So as we get our hope set on the eternal future, then that should help us to be a holy, obedient child of God. Secondly, it should help us to live as strangers here in reverent fear. And thirdly, it should help us to love one another. Verse 22 to 23. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you've sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart for you've been born again. Again, it's kind of hard to see what's going on here, but once you see it, I think it's fantastic. Christian, you've been born again, which is exactly what uh, Peter said back in verse three, born again into a living hope, born again into this great eternal inheritance. So being born again changes the way I live and not least of all, it makes me part of a new family. Christians are my brothers and sisters. And so, verse 22, we should love one another deeply from the heart. And here's the thing. Being part of the Christian family who loves us is exactly what we need when we suffer for Christ. Let me explain. I have one biological brother. His name is David. He turned 56 this year. He's older than me. If David and his family came upon hard times... If they, you know, I don't know what might happen, but if they lost their home and couldn't pay the bills, we'd put them up in an instant. No problem. No second thoughts. It might be inconvenient, it probably would. They have a little one, it would be a little bit messy. And noisy. And a squeeze to fit everybody in. But we'd do it. Of course we would. Not because I'm a great bloke, but because he's my brother. Peter says that's how we should love other christians verse 22 sincerely deeply from the heart and isn't that exactly what we need when we're likely to suffer for our faith so this is how the thought goes you have set your mind on that future inheritance and so much so that you're prepared to stand up for christ at work that you lose your job then you are going to suffer for your faith But should that happen, we, your brothers and sisters in Christ, should love you so much, so sincerely from the heart that we'd give you a home, let you come and live with us, meet all your needs. And it might be hard and inconvenient, but we do it because we love you, because you're family. And you see, knowing that means that you can follow through on this. You can stand up for Christ in those clash points, even if it means losing your job. And with it, your home. That's not easy, but you know you're not going to be destitute because we're going to rally around. Isn't that right? That's what he's saying here. Once I've got my head, my mind, my heart fully set on that future, I can be an obedient child of God. I can live as a stranger here in reverent fear. I will love one another. And finally, and very briefly, it will make me crave pure spiritual milk. That's chapter one, verse 23, to chapter two, verse three. See, verse 23 tells us that it is through the word of God that we were born again. And verse 23 also tells us the word of God is imperishable, one of these key words that Peter keeps bringing in. Unlike us and everything in this world which does perish, verse 25, the word of God stands forever. So do you see It is the word of God which brings us to our imperishable inheritance. And it is the word of God that will encourage us to live a holy life as strangers here, not living the things of chapter two, verse one. And so chapter two, verse two, crave pure spiritual milk just as babies crave their mother's milk. Oh, you must have all seen it. Of course you have. You've seen a baby desperate for his mother's milk. Be desperate for the word of God. Crave it because, verse two, it's how we grow up in our salvation. It's how we become mature Christians. It's how we get our mind focused on the future. The newspapers we read and the internet that we surf is full of the stuff of chapter two, verse, verse, verse one. And we spend so much time looking at them and surfing it The word of god is pure spiritual milk and yet my guess is we spend so little time reading it and so is it any wonder that we cave in when those clash points come christian crave pure the pure lasting imperishable word of god and you will learn to live as you should live in this life living a holy distinctive life as a stranger in this world Crave the word of God because it continually refocuses our minds on our eternal inheritance. Crave the pure word of God because it is through the word of God that we continually prepare our minds for action and we set our hope fully on the grace that is to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's pray together. Well, let me just uh, leave a moment of silence for us to make our own response to uh, the Lord who's spoken to us this evening.